Jesus to all of you again tonight in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord. Another beautiful day in Virginia. It was a lovely day. Lord willing, tonight, tomorrow night, I would like to have children's class before the message. So, try to prepare something for that, and the children can gather up here tomorrow night for a short children's class before the message. Probably will be preaching on the home tomorrow night. I'd still like to at least have one message on the family and the home. And so maybe I'll be looking at that tomorrow night, Lord willing. But tonight I would invite you to open your Bibles again to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. While you're turning to our text, I would like to just remind us in a new way again tonight that we are, as the psalmist says in 139 verse 14, he says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm thinking tonight about a faculty that God has given us, each one of us. It's a very small part of our body, weighs probably about 2% of our body weight, so it's quite small in relation to our body. But there are literally billions of interconnecting cells that go to and from this part of our body. We call it the brain, the mind. This faculty is both a computer as well as a chemical factory. Scientists in the medical field have, have a very limited, although they do have some understanding of the mind and the brain, but it's limited, very limited, in fact. How all these circuits can work together, they can bring up memories from the past, it can help us, it, we, 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 because of our brain, we're able to speak. And all these things that we do, this body does, somehow is all connected to the brain and to the mind. Tremendous capacity. There was a pathologist from Philadelphia that once was asked, uh, he, was, he was an older uh, gentleman that had retired from his, from his career, and he was asked, of all the brain surgeries that you have ever done, did you ever see one that has been worn out, completely worn out? His response was something like this. No, all that I've ever seen has just been slightly used. And I remember when I read that, I thought, but you didn't see mine. But the fact is, and I will be the first to admit, that I allow my mind to become lazy. Well, there's tremendous capacity there. The brain, the mind. We as a family had an experience about 11 years ago. Our youngest son had a farm accident. We were building one of our steel buildings, the barns there were, were a dairy barn. And we had several brothers from the church helping us build that building. And we were using their scissor lift. And he was on the scissor lift, and he was trying to, 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 to drive as close as he possibly could to the foundation of the, the, the edge of the building. And, and he was looking down and controlling the lift. He himself was controlling it. And for some reason, this was a used lift, and, and, the, and this was the first job that these uh, gentlemen were using the lift at. And there was a there was an angle iron on the the cage around the lift that was welded, sticking up several feet. And unknown to our son, as he was looking down here on the one side of, of his head, there was a, the steel truss was coming up on this side, and on this side was this angle iron, and the angle iron crushed his skull. And the brother that was on the lift with him said he heard his head pop. Well, he immediately. Instinct reversed the lift and took the pressure off of his head. He was bleeding tremendously. I was not there at the time. But he was rushed to the urgent care center. And the doctor cleaned him up, sewed him up, and was going to send him home. But they had just purchased a new x-ray machine. And he decided he had 
maybe he should just x-ray his head. So he did. And things began to happen quickly after that. What had happened, there was a bone and it crushed his skull. It dropped right down into his brain and just cut into his brain. He was rushed to the hospital in an ambulance. And my son said, when they, when they put him in the ambulance that night, he said he said goodbye to the world. He thought, this is it. This is it. But through surgery, and thank God again for those in the medical field here, there was a doctor that knew what to do and, and the right things to do, and there was brain surgery that night yet. And the doctor said, there's a good possibility that three things will happen. One is that he'll lose short-term memory. Secondly, he will have speech defects. And thirdly, he'll have seizures. He had a bit of all three of those. But not, it didn't last long. I remember waiting in the, in the waiting room that night and trying to sleep. And the nurses came to me and said, we need help. That our son, Kendall, was trying to tell them something, but he was just talking Pennsylvania Dutch, and they couldn't understand what he was saying. He had lost his English language, basically. Reverted back to when he was a little boy. Therapists began to work with him. And they would ask him questions. They would say, what's your name? He would tell them. What day of the week is it? He would try to figure that out. Just very basic questions over and over and over again. They, they began to ask him, what do you eat with? Well, a knife and a fork. Is that all? Yeah. Then you go to something else, and they come back to that. Finally, he said, oh, yeah, I use a spoon. A spoon. And they worked with that for a while. And soon he said, spoon. Therapist said what had happened is when that bone went into his brain, it knocked out bridges. And so everything had to be rerouted so that he could begin to talk and to use words again. God miraculously healed Kendall about three years. I think it took about three years till everything was back to pretty much normal. He did have some light seizures, not, not very, very much, but occasionally he would have one. The brain, the mind. Tonight, I'd like to think about the mind. Let's read our text. First Corinthians chapter 2, and going on into chapter 3, the first three verses. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the prince of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even a hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of men, man the things which God has prepared for, for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that were freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, that he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that ye may instruct him? 
but we have the mind of Christ. My brethren could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envy, strife, and division, are you not carnal and walk as men? May the Lord bless the reading of his word. The Apostle Paul simply comes to this church at Corinth in the first several verses, and he just reminds them how he had come to them about, I think, if not, I'm not mistaken, about five years earlier. He said he didn't come. He determined that he would not come to them with excellency of speech or a lot of wisdom. He could have. The Apostle Paul... He could have, he knew, he was a philosopher and a theologian. He could have come to them in that way, but he determined in his heart that he would not. You see, the intelligent, the theologians, and the philosophers, they may have ideas, but do they have a burden? And the Apostle Paul had a burden for this church at Corinth. He had a burden for this church. Yes, he talks about his preaching, not of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power of the Spirit. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. There is something deeper than man's wisdom, what Paul would say. And this brings us the heart on the burden of the message tonight. I'd like to title the message tonight, Three Men and Three Minds. Three Men and Three Minds. The Apostle Paul introduces these three men to us. The first man's name we find in verse 14, his name is Natural. The second man's name we find in verse 15, and his name is spiritual. And the third man's name we find in chapter 3 and verse 1, and his name is carnal. Natural, spiritual, and carnal. And he also goes on to tell us that these three men think differently. And he tells us why they think the way they think. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, the proverb says. These three men think very differently. They have different thought patterns, and Paul explains why they do. These three men were very prevalent, I believe, at the church at Corinth. They have been around throughout the church age. They're still among us today, with us today. The man natural, the man spiritual, and the man carnal. Now, if I could have read the text tonight in Greek, we could clearly see that these three men connect us with the trichotomy of man, and that you and I are created body, soul, and spirit. And each one of these is connected to one of 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 body, soul, or spirit. And I'll try to point that out as we go through the message. So I'd like to, tonight, just simply look at these men, their thought processes, and why they think the way they think, in the order that the Apostle Paul introduces them to us here. So, first of all, we're going to be looking at the man named Natural. Natural. And this connects us with the soul of man, or the soulish part of man. The sensitive part of man is what Strong says. Lyon says it belongs to the lower part of man, or the Adamic nature. In James chapter 3, verse 15, there, there, there James, the writer, is talking about 
he's, he's talking about the wisdom of the world, and he says something like this. He says, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. The natural man. Earthly, sensual, and devilish. Now, why do you suppose that we find verse 9 sandwiched right in the center and the middle of this text? One that we know by memory. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man those things which God has prepared for them that love him. I've probably done it in the past. I know just not so long ago, a brother got up to have devotions. And he said, he wants to talk about heaven this morning. And we return to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. I do not fault that, brother, because it is very true that heaven is something that's going to be beyond what eye has ever seen, ear has ever heard, or has entered into the heart of man. But that is not what the Apostle Paul has referenced to here. It's important that whenever we come to, to the, in the New Testament, we find the words, as it is written, or it has been said, it's important that we go back and discover where it was written and the context of where it, where it was written and what it was saying then and there. I don't think I'll take the time to do that, but if we would turn back to Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4 and 5, there it clearly tells us, not exactly word for word as it is here in verse 9, but nearly so, and it's in the context of talking about a day and a time when men would be saved. When men would experience what I talked about a little bit last night about a spiritual birth. And Paul says it's going to be beyond anything that eye has ever seen or ear has ever heard or has entered into the heart of man. Paul is talking about the sensitive part of man. The five senses. The natural man is governed by his five senses. His thinking capacities, his thought patterns are, are hinged upon what the eye sees, what the ear hears, and, and what, is, what is governed by the five senses. What he hears, what he sees, what he smells, what he tastes, and what he touches. The natural man, in his thinking abilities and capacities, finds himself in a box with four walls around him. And he's limited to his five senses. He cannot push outside or beyond that box. Now, the Bible tells us that in Daniel chapter 12, in verse 4, it says that toward, in the end times, men shall run to and fro upon the earth, and knowledge shall be on the increase. We're in those days. When was there ever a time that you could get on a plane and go around the world nearly in a day? Men run to and fro over the earth. Knowledge shall be on the increase. When was there ever a time... And I know there's always been an advancement of knowledge and technology, but I dare say in the last 20, 30 years, it has exploded. But all of that technology and all of that knowledge, that knowledge is confined within those walls. And it is advanced only as they use their five senses. What they see, what they hear, what they smell, what they touch, what they taste. This knowledge of the natural man, let's look at verse 6 and 6 through 8. Howbeit we speak the wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. This knowledge of the natural man is, is temporal. It is only for time. It is here only for time. It's going to come to naught. But verse 7 says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. So the spiritual man, and we'll come to that a bit more later, but 
his, his knowledge or his understanding goes outside of the box. It is eternal. But the natural man's, his wisdom is but for time. Temporal. Only for time. It's going to come to naught. Where faith tells us, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The princes of the world, the intelligence of the intelligence, they did not know that if they nailed Jesus our Lord to the cross, it would be the event of all time when men who before that time would look forward to that time when Jesus was on the cross. And tonight we look back to that time when Jesus was on the cross. Those men did not know that they were bringing about redemption for you and I. They didn't understand. Why didn't they know? Natural. They were thinking natural, temporal, what we see, what, what, what we can do now. They were thinking from the natural man's perspective. They didn't know. Paul says if they'd have known it, they wouldn't have done it. They didn't understand. They could not understand. See, brothers and sisters, I, I've laid awake the past few nights thinking about some of my friends in the Ukraine. And, and, and I just wonder, how can it be that the intelligent of the intelligent in Russia, how can he send troops? into a neighboring country. How can he send his men into that country knowing that there's going to be a good possibility that some of them are going to be shot and those men are going to shoot their neighbors in another country and there's going to be widows. There are going to be children who are going to be weeping and crying for the next months and maybe years because of daddy. And gone. That man is only thinking with a natural mind. And he's inside of that box, and he cannot move out beyond that box. He is governed by what he sees, he smells, he tastes, he touches, and so forth. By what is temporal, what is today. You've heard the saying, if it feels good, do it. That's sensual. That's been governed by the five senses. And that is the way the natural man thinks. I've wondered many times why is it that a young man, young woman, or anyone for that matter, would ever start to use meth. And we have them in our community, many of them, who, who come to the age, and they're not very old. I mean, by middle age, if they've used meth for a number of years, their minds and brains are just nearly fried. They can't think straight anymore. Why would someone do that? Because they're thinking with a natural mind. They're inside this box, and they can't go beyond that. If it feels good, if it tastes good, let's do it. They're thinking naturally. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 that those minds that put God out of their those people that put God out of their minds, the spiral is downward. Down, down, down to a reprobate mind. We may think we'd never get to that point, but that's the potential of the natural mind. Down, down, the second man, and I like to talk about this one, 
His name is spiritual. This has to do with the spirit of man and the trichotomy of man. The spirit of man. And it simply means the regeneration of man. The transformation of man. We sometimes use that scripture, and rightfully so, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, as, as it relates to the doctrine of nonconformity. So we're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by what? By the renewing of the mind. And I dare say tonight that that can never be true nonconformity until the transformation of the mind. We must begin to think differently in the natural man, but there's going to be transformation of the mind. Verse 10, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Brothers and sisters, we have the best of both worlds. We still have the five senses, but now we have the sixth sense. The spiritual man gains a sense, and that's the Spirit. Spiritual man has six senses. So he has the liberty to move outside of those four walls. He has, he is governed by faith. He is a spiritual man and he can exercise faith. Someone has suggested the spiritual man, thinking or his mind, is not only controlled by sensory, but also by spirituality, by Yes, we have our five senses. We exercise our knowledge. We expand our knowledge like the natural man does. But we also have the spirit. And Paul tells us here in verse 13, who is our teacher? The natural man, he needs a teacher. If he wants to expand his knowledge, he, he teaches himself. He's self-taught. Will others teach him? And the Bible here tells us in verse 13, that the Holy Ghost is our teacher. And, further, he tells us what method he uses to teach us. That we compare spiritual things with those things that are spiritual. That one-liner that we use sometimes, that you must always compare apples with apples, is very true. If I naturally want to expand my knowledge in geography, I don't pull out a map book. But I compare geography or maps with maps. And thus I expand my knowledge in geography. The same way spiritually. If the spiritual man is going to grow and develop, then I must compare those things that are spiritual with those things that are spiritual. I must spend time with the spiritual. Iron sharpens iron, the Bible tells us. The sixth sense. Now, interesting. Look at verse 15. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. How interesting. The spiritual man has the ability, Paul says, to judge, now, and we could also rightfully say discern. He has the ability to discern all things, yet he himself is discernible of no man. Strange and interesting. You mean, you mean to tell me that you believe the Sermon of the Mount? You mean that that you really, if someone would compel you to go a mile, that you would go the second? Do you really mean that if, 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 if someone treats you evil, that you would return good for that? That'll never work. Never work. They do not discern the spiritual man. Because they're thinking naturally. I remember so distinctly in Ireland, a number of years ago, when we were talking about starting the boys' camp there, and we talked about basis, basing it on Bible principles, they shook their heads. 
you mean you want to use a book that is as ancient and primitive as the Bible for something like that? Psychologists have proven that we're far beyond that time. They don't understand. They're thinking naturally. They're thinking but naturally. Yes, verse 16 is the ultimate goal. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we, those who are spiritual, those who are called spiritual, we have the mind of Christ. Would to God that my thought processes, my mind could be controlled by the mind of Jesus. The mind of the Lord. And again, I could look at a number of verses tonight that talk about the mind, the spiritual mind. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Peter says something like this in 1 Peter 4, verse 1. He says, arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. Arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. Immediately you get the idea of a battlefield. Arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10 says something like this. He talks about a battle of the mind. He says, bring into captivity every thought under the obedience of Christ. Every thought is to be brought in under the cap- in captivity under the obedience of Christ. Now think with me tonight. Going back to the days of the Civil War. And interesting, we're in, and we're in that kind of territory right now. And you live here that territory. But let's suggest that one morning Confederates wake up and there's a stranger in the camp. And he says, I want to be one of your allies. I want to fight with you. Would they say, yes, just come right on in. We can use you. We need more men. Fight with us. Absolutely not. They would take this man because he may be a a union that is spying on the Confederates. They would take this man in into captivity. And they would begin to search. And they would begin to do what it says that we're to do here in verse 15. They would begin to judge and to discern. Is this of a, is this, is he for us or is he against us? Friends, we live in a time of all kinds of isms. Modernism, socialism, humanism, universalism, and I could go on and on. I have at home in, in, in my study a book with just that it is full of isms, and I dare say you, I don't spend much time with that because I want to spend my time with church. But this world is full of isms, and the enemy of our soul would love to just put those kind of thoughts into our minds. But the spiritual man must take those things and he must take them into captivity. Is it for us or is it against us? And we must go to our, our teacher, which is the Holy Ghost, and we must do what he tells us to do, take compare, compare spiritual things with those things that are spiritual. Just in the past week, I listened to a universalism, and he says he was quoting verses like we find in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, where it says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if God is not willing that any should perish, everyone in the end is going to be in glory. Now let's compare Scripture with Scripture. Because in Matthew 25, verse 4, or 41, it tells us something like this. Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. 
They would never take one verse, and there may be several verses, and build a doctrine around it. The Holy Ghost, our teacher, the spiritual man's teacher, teaches us that we must compare Scripture to Scripture, spiritual things with those things that are spiritual. And thus, the spiritual man's knowledge is expanded, and we move on to what it says in verse 10, and I love this, we begin to understand the deep things, yea, the deep things of God. So there's natural, there's spiritual, and now thirdly, there's carnal. This man carnal. Let's consider his mind and his thought patterns a bit tonight. This has to do with the body, or the bodily part of man, the fleshly part of man, the carnality, the temporal, the, the unregenerate part of man. And Paul had some rather scornful things to say to the church at Corinth as it relates to these men and women who were yet going by the name Paul. He says that the thought pattern of the man who goes, who answers to the name carnal, is childish. They think childish. Here's babes. Now, I want to be clear tonight that there's nothing wrong with being a baby. We have some babies and little children here tonight. Beautiful. So, uh, that's beautiful. I love children. And I think as a Heavenly Father looks down on this audience tonight, and He sees us spiritually, do you suppose He sees something like you and I see with these eyes physically? There are children, babies in Christ. They haven't journeyed with Jesus very long yet. They're babies. And there are others that are, that are youth. And there are others that are, that are middle-aged. And there are others that are more mature. They companion with Jesus for many years. And they've developed into spiritually strong, godly men and women. But you know, it's sad. Every parent knows that if, if my child's brain or their thought processes always remains as a young child or a baby. It's alarming. It's disappointing. Our Heavenly Father wants us to move beyond carnality and beyond thinking like children think. How do children think? I could use one word tonight to describe how children think. I would use the word selfish. Selfish. That's the way children think. What this flesh likes. That's what a child likes. And children, please understand, I'm not trying to... to, to to speak in a negative way to you tonight at all. That's the way children think. And I'd like to look at seven points now as it relates to the way children think. And especially in, so as, as it relates to the carnality within myself. Within all of us. I dare say, and I know for myself, and I was preparing today again, I just saw so much of this man carnal in myself. Number one, children always want their own way. If you don't play the way I play, then I am not going to play. Have you ever heard that? Has the parent ever heard that? I've heard it. My sons and daughters said it. And I'm sure that as a child, I probably said it as well. If you don't play the way I play, I'm not going to play. 
children. Children, they, they, they demand their own way even to the point of, of, of pressing the line, pushing the line. Let me illustrate. A number of years ago, shortly after I was ordained, I began to see that when my children were quite small yet, that I was not going to be able to do justice to the farm and the dairy and ministry without hiring some help. And I had a brother at that time who had also been in the dairy but had just sold his cows and was looking for a job, and I offered him a job. And I said, why don't you come? And there were two houses on the property. One was back in off of the road a bit, and then had another tenant house out by side of the road. And I said, uh, uh, would you come and just work for us at least a number of years till my sons, till our sons are old enough that they can help on the farm? He agreed to do that. Good experience. But we had some challenges. One of those was that we soon discovered shortly after they moved there that these cousins enjoyed being together. Of course, they were quite small yet. You know, they were probably, well, even from toddler up to 10, 12 years of age. And we began to see that with them being together all the time, they were nearly together nearly all, all the time during the day, and we decided that we're going to have to draw some lines and some boundaries if we want to maintain good family life as for ourselves. And, and my brother was agreed to this, and so we took the children out to the lawn. And the lawn was actually together from their lawn to our lawn was all one piece. But we, we drew a line. Now, we didn't put up a fence, but we drew an invisible line. And we said from this utility pole right here over to this evergreen right here over to the driveway over here. During the day, my brother was to keep his family on the one side of the line. And we were to keep our children on the other side of the line. Now, we had agreed that for two hours or so when he was milking every evening, that our children could be together. They could play together. One day... I was gone, I don't remember where I was, but I came home, and there were two little lawn chairs. One chair was right on the one side of the line, and the other one right on the other side of the line. That's the way children think. They push the line. Now, we may find that a bit humorous, but friends, God. I dare say, as churches, we draw lines. I really believe with all my heart that the more the spiritually mature we come, we become, we can step away from the line. We don't have to challenge that line of the power plant. If God said, said it, that's the way it is. We don't have to challenge that line and think like a child. Number two, children cannot learn difficult lessons. As it says here in verse two of chapter three, I have fed you with meat and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. Children cannot learn difficult lessons. Children must be spoon-fed. They must have milk. And I beg of us tonight, let's move on to meat. Let's move on to the deep things, yea, the deep things of God as spiritual men and women. Let's not just stay with, with, with the milk and those light things, but God has deeper and better things for us. Let's search for them. They're there. They're for us. They're there for us. Number three, children are apt to quarrel. And Paul says that in verse three here. For are you not yet carnal? For whereas there is among you envy and strife and division, are you not carnal and walk as men? Children quarrel in strife. Often there needs to be a mediator to try to bring things together. That's carnal. Thinking like a child. Number four, 
Children are taken up with personalities, and, and that was the case here. Some said, Paul is my man. Others said, Apollos is my man. And others would say, the Cephas is my man. No. Caught up with personalities. A mama baby. Our little grandson. It took us a while before we could actually have him on our laps and play with him. He was a mama baby, and he was caught up with personalities. This is, this is where I belong. She's my mama. And he would fuss if we would try to hold him. Babies, children, caught up with personalities. There's cliques. You're the in-group. I'll let you play with me. But over there, no. No. Oh, that's sad. One of the things that grieves my heart deeply is when those who are less fortunate, maybe, maybe they don't have the best of social graces, or, or there's, there's a disability and a handicap of some kind, and when we push those people out of our lives, God forbid. May God enlarge our hearts as spiritual men and women for the less fortunate and the needy. Number five. Children. That's mine. Did you ever hear that? Don't you pick up that toy. It's mine. Quite natural. Oh, I'm afraid. And this is the one that hits home. The pronouns my and mine are far, far. mine. It wasn't until after Genesis chapter 3 that men began to say, that's mine. God in his wisdom, he created all these beautiful things in the garden. Adam and Eve could, 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 could have everything they wanted. It was created for their beauty and for their glory. They could enjoy it. They were blessed richly with the exception of that one tree. And before the fall of man, those beautiful and wonderful things stayed on the external side of the heart. But it wasn't until after the fall they began to move in here and we began to say, that's mine. No. No, I honestly believe that the more spiritual we become, the more we answer to the man spiritual. All of us, I, I understand, are born with a clenched fist, but the more spiritual we become, the hand must open. I'm only spiritual. I'm only using it for my short journey through this life. It's a gift. And like I said, I was a young man with dreams. This farm's paid for. Let's buy the next one. Let's buy the next one. But God has arrested that dream. Certainly there's nothing wrong with buying another farm. But I dare say those farms and these external things, these treasures, and, and I could go to, to the Terminal of the Mount where it talks about the treasures of our heart, but those treasures, they'll never move. children, carnal men and women at their best. Point number six. Children play while bigger things are happening. My brother and his wife experienced their pain, the grief of bearing a little six-week-old child that passed along of a crib death a number of years ago. While the EMTs, the paramedics, were there uh, working with little Sean Edwards, his two-year-old brother was right on the other side of the wall in the toy room playing with toys. When there were some big and serious things happening right across the wall, brothers and sisters, spiritual men and women, 
God has a work for us. We live in a world that has gone mad after play and recreation. And we need some of that. But we dare never lose sight of our mission and goal. God has bigger and better things for us to be to occupy our time with. And we need to be engulfed with these things. As I said last night, we live in, eternal, in a world of eternal souls where the image of God is stamped upon their hearts. We belong to God. How much time do we spend, pl- spend playing and being engulfed of this world. Number seven, and last, children do not have a proper sense of value or right and wrong. Children need to be taught what is right and what is wrong. But the Hebrew writer says something like this in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, but strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The more spiritual we become, the more mature we become, the more we're able to discern what is good and what is evil. Children are not able to discern that. Tonight, there's natural, there's spiritual, Which man do we answer to? Which man do we answer to? I'll be honest with you tonight. I still answer to all three. But by God's grace, I want to be more responsive to the man I, I want to respond. I want to come to seek to discern And let the Holy Spirit continue to search. And I continue to search Scripture with Scripture and discover of the deep things.